Well, Christmas is a time, it seems, that is especially able to make us feel nostalgic. I feel nostalgic having our carol services here at the parish church. It reminds me of the end of the Christmas term at my school, when we were all desperate to go home after the longest, darkest and usually coldest term. Our carol service was literally the last thing we did at school before we scattered all over the country by train, coach and car back to our families. And when I was younger, before that, we had Chris Dingles at the parish church. And all the feelings of those times, excitement, home, family, are invoked by the sights and sounds of this time of year. I'm sure it's the same for many of you. Whether it's the short days, the cosy fires, rain and mist, the smell of Christmas trees or satsumas, which is weird when you think about it, but there we go. Uh, the cold or having a cold, sherry, which is a personal favourite of mine, um, highlight of the year, uh, family traditions, They're these huge pile of things that taps into our memories, our sense of what is good and beautiful, and they all come together to make the season feel special. And that nostalgia is really, really powerful. Uh, two things happened to me over this last week that illustrate that power, the power of nostalgia. The first was when my youngest daughter, Charlotte, who is four, found her purple waterproof trousers. She'd lost them two months ago and was distraught, wailing all the way to preschool and tearfully, reluctantly settling for a lone pair of rather disappointing red trousers for Forest School instead. Well, we found her purple trousers the other day. And when I told her, little tears of joy actually rolled down her cheeks. And she said, I found you, my purple trousers. And uh, she hugged them like I'd given her a fluffy unicorn kitten. And told me confidently, Father Christmas bought them. Purple waterproof trousers. There's not a lot of, not a lot of substance there. But that's the power of nostalgia, familiarity, routine, something, something in that scenario was able to elicit these powerful emotions in her. The second thing that happened, which wasn't quite as cute as Charlotte's purple trousered reverie, but was still quite funny, was at our crib service on Wednesday. Some of you were there, I'm sure. It was lovely, all the children sitting around, the nativity scene, in the candlelight, singing and listening, about to listen to the Christmas story, but this year we decided to show them a video rather than uh, read the story from a book because it's, I don't know, 2019 or something like that. Um, the video, playing streaming live from YouTube, started on cue with the donkey in the stable just after Jesus is born. The atmospheric music was playing. He was about to launch into his little speech. Let's gather around, you know, all that sort of thing. And abruptly it stopped and different music cut right across. Uh, something all, and then this announcer sort of speaks, have you bought your Christmas turkey yet? <laughs> Add one of three, you know, and you have to get the little countdown that you get on YouTube. You have to wait till the skip now. And uh, everyone groaned. I think literally everyone groaned. Uh, at the time, I thought it was a Waitrose ad. And I was going to do a little spiel about how, you know, uh, Christmas and our nostalgia could be manipulated for consumerism and all that sort of thing. Actually, Sophie, being Sophie, uh, went and researched it, found out it wasn't a supermarket advert at all. It was an advert from the Vegan Society, talking about cruelty to turkeys. So there we go. <laughs> you can take from that whatever you want. Um, I'm going to try and give you something to take from it. Nostalgia 
is powerful. It can create these strong feelings. It can create a power vacuum. It seems to me that we have something of a choice at this time of year. We can settle for the Charlotte's Trousers version of Christmas. We like it. It makes us feel a bit mushy, a bit lovely. Sherry helps. <laughs> we get emotional. We don't really know why. And then we go back to normal life a few days later. Or we can settle for the vegan turkey waitress version of Christmas and allow ourselves to be swept up about in the current of powers bigger than ourselves that use our instincts for what is good for their own benefit, for profit or for some ideology or other. Those two options, if I'm honest, don't seem very good. At best, the choice for mere nostalgia leaves us a little bit lost. It's a reversion. It's a reversion to the thought of our pagan ancestors, who through the midwinter mists and the fog of instinctive religion saw something to celebrate at this time of year. However vaguely, that light would overcome darkness, or perhaps that it was at least right to hope that it would. But that was all mythology. Shadows cast by a sun that had not yet been seen. Those ideas had little power to shape people's lives or their society. At worst, we are left open to being manipulated by powers bigger than us. We see it in the crass commercialization of something that has such a dear place in our hearts and in our seeming inability to resist. And we see it in our culture too, which nostalgically, I would say, espouses fragments of its Christian heritage, the worth of the individual, freedom, compassion, kindness, and tolerance. But haplessly and tragically uses these ideas in ways that sometimes cause deep division, misunderstanding, and damage. There is a third option. We, like the shepherds who saw a choir of angels and the wise men who saw an unusual star, have been told that the signs we witness in such abundance at this time of year, all that is good and beautiful and true, are exactly that. They are signs. And they point to something. Something definite. Jesus of Nazareth. Signs are meant to be followed. And when we follow them to him, we find the one in whom all our longings are fulfilled. The, the signs are supposed to lead us to his throne, where we find like a spring at the head of a river or the roots of a great tree, the coherent source of all that we admire and all that we desire. In the birth of Jesus, we find the source of all morality, the love of God. By becoming man, God shows us that love is more than good intentions, more than toleration of others. It is a profound, fruitful harmony that arises from the absolute gift of self. Jesus literally embodies this love, beginning at Bethlehem and completing it at his death and resurrection. This idea, the love of God, ties together all that we know instinctively of goodness and makes the world fertile with beauty. This love creates beautiful lives that change the course of history. It creates beautiful families where peace and joy are found. It creates beautiful communities 
that are in harmony with their surroundings and build beautiful buildings like this. It creates beautiful societies and beautiful cultures and beautiful countries that value their security and their peace and wish and act for the good and the prosperity of the countries around them. But Jesus is not just the idea of a king. He is not merely myth or a powerful ideology. He actually reigns. And from his throne, which is unlike any other government, come concrete laws that have the power to give life. The moral law of Christ's kingdom found in scripture and understood and explained by Christians for thousands of years guides us through this world, has the power to bring us good, a good and fulfilling life in the midst of suffering or in the midst of social and technological change and moral confusion. Put simply, if you want to know how to be happy, Jesus has the answer. If you want to know how to raise your family, Jesus has the answer. But to follow these signs to Jesus isn't just about information or an idea. He crowns these things with something of supreme importance. The power to live differently. All the ideas and laws in the world cannot change something we all experience. I cannot do what I know to be right. And I keep doing things that I know to be wrong. When we come to Jesus, he gives us the power to live differently. He forgives us and he changes our hearts so that instead of being torn between right and wrong, tossed to and fro, gradually we desire to do what is right, wholeheartedly. When we follow the signs to Jesus, fall on our knees before a king unlike any other, when we offer him our lives, fragmentary, messy and broken. He gives them back to us, healed and coherent and whole and eternal. So here is a challenge. Please don't just get emotional this Christmas. And by all means become a vegan, but not just a vegan. Do something concrete. Follow the signs. God would invite you into a relationship with him. If you don't know what that means, why not come to church? Here at St. Leonard's or at the Free Church, come and chat to me or Canon David. Pray with someone tonight, if you came with someone who's a Christian. Come along to our Alpha course, which starts on the 28th of January. It's a really easy way to find out more about what I've said tonight. You should already have an invitation in your program, and if you don't have one, you can grab one on your way out. Our last reading is from John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was 